urgency. Did you hear it when Mona was reading in the scripture passage today? Jesus repeated a couple times, unless you repent, you'll re perish the exact same way. There's an urgency to that. And we're going to see how in Luke's gospel, I think I've mentioned this before, but just a reminder that as the cross approaches, Jesus' teaching gets more urgent, more intense, more pointed, because time was running short for his ministry, and he wanted people to turn to him. If you have your Bibles open, I encourage you, keep a finger in Luke chapter 13, but I'm going to turn to 2 Corinthians and read another passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to those Corinthian believers, and see if you hear any urgency in the words he wrote. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation." I kind of projected on what I thought Paul might be saying. But I think there's an urgency in his words. If the Apostle Paul, instead of me, were here today and saying those words, what do you think you would see? What would the tone of his voice be like as he spoke those words? What would the volume of his voice be like? Would it rise with each sentence? What do you think? What would his facial expression be like? What would you see in his eyes? I wonder. We don't know for sure, but he says, we don't see Jesus the same anymore. Why not? Because he used to think Jesus was just a fake prophet. But now Paul knew something different, that he was Christ, the Son of God, God himself. He said, in Christ, we're new people. That must excite him to think about what I was and what Christ has made me. God's making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be saved. Jesus became sin for us so that we could be made righteous. We appeal to you. Now is the favorable time. Now, not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. All those words are clues that Paul was really passionate. So I jump from Luke 
to Paul in 2 Corinthians. Now we go back to Luke because Paul is expressing an urgency that's uh, a quote from the Old Testament, behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of, of salvation. We hear it in Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 12 and now in Luke chapter 13. The crowds needed to hear that. The disciples needed to hear it. We need to hear it today. Now is the time, now is the day to believe. The Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet wrote, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call while he is near. He's near right now today. So let's take a look at Luke chapter uh, 13 together again. Understand the times. Be ready to meet God. I'm going back to chapter 12, and, and Cyrus wrapped up that chapter uh, last week. Know who Jesus is, live with eternity in view. See, this was urgent stuff in, in Luke chapter 12. If you want to take a, a quick look, just flip your Bible back a page. Jesus was talking about urgent things like being rich toward God, not being greedy like the foolish man, but loving Jesus and loving what Jesus does. And, and God's grace makes it all possible. That's urgent. Be rich toward God. Invest in the things of God. Another urgent message Jesus said was, don't be anxious. None of you were anxious this week. Cyrus, if I can point out the teenagers, asked a question on Thursday night. Have any of you been anxious this week? I think every hand in the room went up. Should I... Ask that question again. Jesus said, God cares. So you don't need to be anxious. He's going to take care of you. If you are his child, he will take care of you. And if you don't think he will, if, if he seems to fail you in this life, just remember in the next life, <laughs> he's going to take you there. He's not going to fail to do that. So you really don't need to worry. He's going to take care of you in this life and fully in the next. Remember his care through your life. Remember the Bible stories that you began to learn, hopefully from in Sunday school when you were little. We know those stories so that you can be encouraged to know that God cares. Another urgent message be ready for Jesus' return. That's what Cyrus talked about last week. Be dressed and ready for action as you watch the door. Keep your lamps burning. Be busy with what Jesus left you to do. Be ready for his return because you are going to face your creator. Get things settled now. Get right with God now. Psalm 90. Moses wrote Psalm 90. Moses wrote Psalm 90 when the children of Israel were wandering around in the desert for 40 years, waiting for the old people to die so the new generation could go into the promised land. Boy, if they did funerals, think how many funerals they were doing. And what does he say in verse 8 of Psalm 90? You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. 
The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. That's the truth. So how do you respond to that truth? Verse 12 is the answer. Here's the prayer request to the Lord. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. That's the answer. God, help us to look to you and understand what this is about. Give us a heart of wisdom because this is urgent news today. Luke wrote his gospel so that we would know the truth about Jesus Christ. That's what he says in, in his introduction in chapter 1. And so many refused to believe who Jesus was. Remember when Jesus was doing miracles, they said, oh, he's casting out demons by, by Satan himself. He's a worker of the devil. And Jesus says, you guys don't make sense. They couldn't believe. They saw it right before them, yet they refused him. Jesus reminded us in, in chapter 12 that he's controversial. You follow me, I'm gonna I might divide your home. You might lose friends if you follow me. Yes or no? What do you say this morning? Is Jesus God and Savior? Is it worth following him? What would Abraham and Sarah tell you this morning when God said, go and I'll show you a land? If God were to call you today to go, to another land, would you trust him? Do you believe he will take care of you? Will you faithfully follow him no matter what he asks? How can any of us ever hope to stand before God and not be guilty? to be clean. Only through Christ. And that's what Jesus is now pointing out in chapter 13. Let's read those first five verses together again. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Urgent. Seek God's forgiveness now. Why now? <laughs> because sin and death surround us. Leon Morse, one of the common commentary guys I read, just says this really simple, obvious statement. Life is uncertain. Would you agree with that? Yes. There was a common belief in Jesus' day, and you know it's still common belief now, that if a disaster struck, it was probably because God was punishing you. If something really bad happened to you, it's probably because you did something really bad and God was after you. Do you remember Job's friends? They kind of had that opinion as well. We think that way too. 
If something bad happens to us, we kind of think, oh, what did I do, God? Why are you after me? Well, you probably did do something, but God is not after you for that one sin. Jesus has some important truth points. The men, the men who died horribly by Herod's hand, and we don't know why Herod had him killed, but they were sinners, but they weren't worse sinners than anybody else. The 18 who died at the tower construction site, they weren't worse sinners than anybody else in Jerusalem. They were guilty, but they were no more guilty than anybody else. What's Jesus' teaching point? I think you have it figured out. We're all sinners who need to repent. What's repentance? It's just a turning. It's a change of thinking. It's understanding our sin and our evil that we do. It's understanding that God himself will judge us, and we deserve that judgment, but he offers forgiveness only through Jesus Christ. Sin abounds. You, you saw the news headlines this week. Nothing new. Sin abounds, its consequences is death, it's everywhere, and who can escape it? Which one of you is going to escape death? None of us. Do you remember what God told Adam and Eve in the garden? For when you eat of it, that is the fruit, you will surely, what? Live. No, die. They died. No one is righteous. No, not one. Separated from God and his holiness. And what Jesus does, he uses this question about physical death. And what he's warning us about is not physical death, because we're all going to die physically unless Jesus comes back really soon. But he, he tells us to avoid the reality of spiritual death, separation from God and his grace and his goodness. How can you and I escape hell? The blunt question. The judgment that we deserve, separation from God and his gracious glory. Well, there's only one way. A righteousness, it says in Romans 3.21, now a righteousness of God has been demonstrated or manifested apart from the law. Verse 22, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all have sinned, it says in verse 23, and fall short of the glory of God, and those people are all justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's received by believing, by faith. I love what David says in Psalm 32. Here's a testimony of a sinner, a forgiven sinner. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man or the woman against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. But I have iniquity. I have deceit. So how can I be blessed? 
Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away and through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's such good news. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what we all need. We need to turn to Christ and in him alone confess, repent our sins, and we will be forgiven. Take hold of God's forgiveness now. Believe it in your heart. Confess that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved, it says in Romans 10. And if you have believed, you know what else you need to do? Give adoration, like we sang together today. Having believed, give thanks to God right now for forgiving you all those sins, and his mercy and forgiveness have been poured out you as a gift through Christ. Would you just whisper that out loud? Can I hear you just saying, thank you, God, for my salvation? Say it. And in your closet today or in your living room when no one else is around or in the shower today, just say it loud. But say it to one another. Urgent truths. You see, repentance is a one-time act that changes the course of your life. Turning to Christ. But repentance is a day-by-day -day kind of thing, too, because we're always having to turn back to the Lord, confessing our sins, and know that he will forgive us, and we'll get back into fellowship with him. Urgent truths. Decide about Jesus. Be ready to face God. Seek his forgiveness. Number three, urgent. Learn from Israel's faithlessness or fruitlessness now. Let's read those verses 6 through 9. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure and then if, or miracle grow. And then if you should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. See, in the flow of context of Luke here, it's like Jesus' first words. He was speaking to the crowds, and in the Greek language, it's the you is in plural unless you repent. But that was a very personal kind of challenge. But now he's shifting from like this personal invitation to repent, and like you all need to repent. And now he's focusing in on Israel, the nation, God's chosen people. You see, I won't take time to do it this morning, but... In Isaiah chapter 5, God talks about Israel being a vineyard that he planted and tended, and it never produced any good fruit. In Micah chapter 7, Israel's compared to a fig tree that never produced any figs. So God is looking for fruit, and it's no accident that Jesus mentions a vineyard and a fig tree 
because he wanted the Israelites that he was speaking to right then, and he wants us to know that God is looking for spiritual fruit. Because if you really believe, your life will show it. You're going to produce something that brings glory to God, your faith in Christ. Again, I won't take time to do it today because it's worth another many, many sermons, but just look at chap Revelation chapters 2 and 3 again. The seven churches. And Jesus came looking for fruit among those believers, and he wasn't finding a whole lot there. Some, but not what he really was expecting. That can be applied to us. Urgent. Learn from Israel's fruitlessness now, and don't let it happen to you. Look at verses 8 and 9. And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on some miracle grow. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Do you know God's gracious patience with us will come to an end? For unbelievers, those who turn away from him, his graciousness will come to an end. Does that surprise you? See, Israel, those people, those chosen people, the Jews, and let's just throw us Gentiles in there too, the rest of the nations around the world, we get so used to God's graciousness, his patient goodness, that we expect it. And we forget that God's holy justice demands sin be punished that it brings trouble. Jesus says, believe now. And what do we say? What's the rush? <laughs> because death cuts everybody down. If you're 15 or 16 years old, you could be buried before me. Odds are I'll be buried before you. But understand how short life is. Death will cut us all down. Sometimes it seems like too soon. Like the Galileans and those construction workers on the tower in Siloam. But fruitless fig trees that's a picture of people who refused God's salvation and never produced any good work showing what they really believed. If you refuse God's mercy in this life, you will experience his wrath, his justice in the next. God the Father, Son, and Spirit's patient mercy will end for unbelieving people. And I want you to know this. If you're a believer today, then rejoice in your salvation. But if you have not yet believed, understand this. God is giving you a warning today. It might be your last one. I don't know. But God is patient, and he's kind, and he does not judge us quickly as we deserve. Just remember the flood of Noah. At least from the text, we think 
the world had 120 years of Noah building an ark and preaching about what God was going to do before he sent the flood. Just think about Sodom. God sent angels. God had Lot there warning people about the judgment to come, and they refused it and see what happened. Just think about Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Jesus said it's going to be surrounded, it's going to be destroyed. He said that around 30 A.D. So there was almost like 40 years before God's truth, judgment came. So what are we to do? Turn to Christ for forgiveness and then begin to live a new life for God. Grow in your faith and grow in sharing the gospel so others can believe and produce fruit for God's glory and enter his kingdom forever. And I want you to know something. By God's grace here in our church family, we as a body of believers, we're seeking to do the Lord's work so that we can abound in every good work. We're asking God to help us abound in every good work because we know that Jesus loves us and we love him because he's what he's done for us and we want others to walk in his kingdom as well. But be urgent about it. Learn from Israel's fruitlessness and change course. Urgent, finally, Participate in Jesus' mission now. Look at verse 10. We hadn't read these, so let me read this little section. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had, been, had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on, come on these days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites! How do you think Jesus said that, by the way? Oh, you hypocrites. Was it that kind of a pathetic voice? Or did he yell it with fire in his eyes? I don't know. It's just interesting to think about, isn't it? You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Another Sabbath controversy. The religious elite didn't have a clue or an understanding of what God's intentions were for the Sabbath. You know, it is really easy for me to not like the Pharisees. Do you like the Pharisees? It's easy not to like them because they didn't follow or like Jesus. But we need to be really careful that we take the logs out of our own eyes first, because we might be more like the Pharisees than we know. The Sabbath was made for people, even sinners. 
So Jesus heals on the Sabbath because God never takes a Sabbath. You know, God wasn't tired after the six days of creation. He just sat back and enjoyed his creation, but he was still holding it all together. God's always working, and Jesus was always working. God doesn't need a Sabbath, and Jesus was declaring himself that I and the Father are one, and we're always working to heal, to restore, to save. Understand Jesus' mission. He said it in chapter 4, the beginning of his ministry of Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus was just doing his mission. So join Jesus in his mission. I can't give you eternal life. Only Jesus can do that. But I can speak the good news of Jesus. I can act better so people see and hear the gospel. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I'm sending you. So our generation, as every other generation, needs to see and to hear the gospel. Do they see the gospel in you? Do they experience the love and the kindness of God because you're present in the room? Do they hear the gospel? Do they even know what it means to receive or to believe in Christ? So reveal the transforming of power of Christ in your life. We're commanded to be salt. We're commanded to be light. What does that mean? So I've received God's forgiveness. So it means I need to forgive others because of what God has forgiven me. So I need to discover the joys of serving and the, the dying to myself the way Jesus did that for me. So others can see and hear Christ's life-giving words. Ask God the Spirit to help you overcome evil with good. Ask him how to show you how to return good when you're treated poorly. That's showing the work of God in our lives, urging others with great passion to join you in the journey to a Christ-following life. Who is it? that imitated Christ and cared enough to explain the gospel to you so that you could hear, believe, and be rescued from your sin? Who was it? Who is it that loved Jesus so much that they obeyed his command to go and make disciples so that you could become one of them? So after you thank Jesus, for saving you, if those people are still alive, you need to go thank them for loving Jesus enough and loving you enough to share the gospel with you so that you could be saved and become a child of God. Teenagers, whew, 
if mom and dad were the ones who shared the gospel with you and you believed, you need to thank them. And sometimes I know that's not easy to do. <laughs> and we grown-ups need to thank those who are teaching us and helping us to follow Christ. We should make it a habit. It builds up their courage. It builds up their zeal to continue to serve Christ and to follow him. Thank Jesus. Thank him for the people he sent to you to bring you to faith and remind them what they've done for you if you still can. Write them a note, send them a text, give them a call. Cyrus reminded us last week that we only have this life, the life we have right now to believe and then to serve Christ and be ready to meet him. This is it. It's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to repent. Now is the day to turn in trusting belief that Jesus died for your sins and is the risen Savior. Now is the time to serve faithfully with all your heart, relying on Christ and his power. I love what Peter says. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, most of you already knew this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be both glory now and forever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we ask you today, we understand, help us to understand how important faith and then faithfully living for you are urgent. I pray that you would work in my own heart and mind, that you would work in all of our minds so that together we would embrace fully our faith in you, to trust in you, to spread the good news of who you are. So, Lord, we ask you to strengthen us, to enable us to do this. You promised to supply us with the need, all the needs that we have so that we could do your work and to do it well. So, Lord, be pleased to answer this request today in our hearts so that your name, Lord Jesus, is lifted up forever and ever. Amen.